You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. This morning, Governor David Ige said he's been monitoring the developing military situation out in Guam. The Navy has reported to have removed 1,000 sailors off the nuclear aircraft carrier, the Roosevelt, because about 100 of them have tested positive for the virus. There are also said to be plans to take another 3,000 troops off by Friday, possibly quarantining them in hotels so the ship can be disinfected. Guam is about the size of Molokai, but has about 160,000 residents on island. We asked the governor if he was concerned that a similar situation could happen here. Catherine, as you may recall, you know, very early in the in this uh, COVID-19 health crisis, uh, Honolulu International was identified as one of the funneling airports, and we were very much concerned about um, having to uh, take U.S. citizens who uh, were in China and may have been exposed, and then quarantine them here. And so we worked with uh, the military because we thought that, you know, having them, and remember, this was before the mandatory quarantine and really the real reduction in in visitors here. This was still, you know, tourism was still flourishing. We had lots of uh, people here. And, you know, our concern, obviously, to put someone in quarantine or isolation in the middle of Waikiki would not be the best policy. So we had contacted the leadership here at Pearl Harbor and really uh, asked if they could accommodate uh, those who would need to be isolated. Uh, and and they were reluctant at first. And, and clearly, the conversation we had would be that they did not want to put their readiness at risk uh, by having uh, covid uh, positive individuals on the military base. And so certainly our assurance that we got from State Department and others uh, would be that uh, these people were asymptomatic and and really going through the quarantine. And so they did agree to let us use a facility at Joint Base uh, Hickam Pearl Harbor as uh, the isolation location. But, you know, what they were most concerned about, especially for those men and women who are deployed, they live in very close quarters. And uh, certainly if the virus, if anyone had the virus, then certainly um, others would be in proximity to also get infected. And I think that that's what we're seeing on that aircraft carrier in Guam. So I do think it's a little different situation now. Obviously, they're concerned always about their readiness and their ability to protect the country. And I'm certain that they are working very quickly to get everyone healthy on the aircraft carrier and, and really so that it can resume its duties. And I think the community there is also concerned because, you know, they, they have some of their residents who are serving on board. You know, they don't want to put anybody anybody's health in jeopardy. But for such a small island to all of a sudden just get 4,000 folks overnight. It's a challenge. Certainly. It certainly would be. You know, it would be a challenge anywhere in the world. But it's so important that the infection on board the aircraft carrier get dealt with as quickly as possible so that they can resume normal operation. So you're in contact with the military daily. We do have participation from Indo-Pacific Command. Uh, they do fall into our daily situation updates, and uh, we do share information. Not so much on the status of military operations. Uh, it really is focused on uh, COVID-19 response here in the island. With the presidential emergency declaration, certainly makes more federal assets available to support our work. And part of that um, would include military assets if necessary. You know, we're watching in New York the Mercy ship being uh, deployed to help out, and those ships are being uh, set aside for non-COVID cases. Here, you've tapped the Army Corps to look at those couple of sites where we could maybe put up something temporary. But have there been any any discussions with our uh, healthcare association about, I don't know, identifying maybe one particular hospital where let's say, like all the COVID cases would go? We are in constant contact with all of the facilities. They are another participant, the Healthcare Association of Hawaii, which represents all of the hospitals and all of the long-term care facilities, participate in our daily operations calls as well. We get 
daily reports on census in every facility. We know how many uh, ICUs are being uh, utilized every single day, and we are aware of the inventory of ventilators in the state and how many of them are in use. So we definitely are tracking all of those assets. Right now, if someone becomes uh, COVID positive and needs hospital care, then they are going to, you know, the facility that their doctors recommend. So we haven't really changed the the current flow of facilities. In our looking at the, the data, we haven't seen the high need for a hospitalization that um, we see in other states and in other uh, communities. I do think that that's a, a real tribute to our healthcare industry here in the island. You know, I do think that uh, people are taking this seriously and um, when they get symptoms that they are talking with their providers and that we are catching them earlier maybe in the progression of the, the disease. So at this point, then, no talks about identifying, you know, one particular facility. And I know that would be a challenge probably for the neighbor islands as well. It certainly may make it a little bit easier on personal protective equipment and those kinds of things. When someone is COVID positive in the hospital situation, then, you know, they are definitely in isolation because all of the protocols when dealing with an infectious disease kicks in. Every facility is prepared for that outcome if that should happen. As I said, we're monitoring uh, utilization all across the state. Uh, We have not needed to talk about that at this point in time. Our utilization of ICU beds, uh, yesterday when I checked the the daily report, we're at about 45% utilization of ICU units across the state. You know, as I said, we have not seen the rate of hospitalization in other states as we've uh, monitored. Uh, so I do believe that our doctors are, are doing a good job identifying those who have the virus early on and being able to treat them so that uh, they don't require hospital care. Governor, I know there's been lots of talk about whether or not we should just be using masks, masks in general. You know, certainly I think that there is more and more evidence and guidance. You know, the challenge with the novel coronavirus is that it's it's new and that there is very little known about it. We get more information as the infection uh, travels around the world. Certainly, I think people need to understand when we're not talking about the N95 respirators that filters the air, but we know or believe anyway that COVID-19 is primarily transmitted uh, via air and aerosol. And so clearly, if everyone uh, in our community had a mask on, then, you know, everyone would uh, keep their germs to themselves. And it would provide a layer of protection, an added layer of protection to everyone. And, you know, at this point in time, we're asking, you know, the stay-at-home order, the mandatory quarantine for travelers, uh, we are focused on people assuming that uh, you're infected and you don't want to have the possibility of infecting your friend or neighbor and vice versa. You should assume that everyone you interact with is infected. And so as a protection to yourself, it would be helpful to wear a mask. I haven't started wearing one yet. I have one. I bought it from the drugstore, uh, the cloth one. I don't know. Do you think you might start wearing one? I certainly uh, would start to wear a mask when I'm uh, meeting with individuals. As I said, I think I've read enough about the whole issue of masks to know that it can be helpful. If it is aerosol and we keep our breath to ourselves, then we reduce the possibility of infecting someone else. In Asia, I guess they they feel it's their responsibility to keep their germs to themselves. So I guess maybe we, we need to start thinking about that. Absolutely. I, I really do think that if uh, if you have a mask, you know, my recommendation to the public is if you have a mask, I would wear it when you're out and about. You know, the challenge has been and we've been fighting to get a personal protective equipment, especially for uh, those on the front line, our healthcare professionals, first responders. But certainly if you can get a mask, it certainly would provide 
a little protection for the individual, but I think most importantly, as I said, keeping your breath to yourself and any germs you might have uh, would help keep our community healthier. That was Governor David Ige, who we talked to earlier this morning. Ige, whose adult children live on the mainland, said he's in regular contact with them during this time. One is in the nation's capital. Two others are in Washington state, including a daughter who is a nurse handling potential COVID cases. Coronavirus deaths mount in Europe, but hope is starting to spring from ground zero in China. The BBC continues to update us on the latest with COVID-19 on the other side of the world. This is the Coronavirus Global Update on Thursday, April the 2nd. I'm Charlotte Gallagher. Spain marks its 10,000th coronavirus fatality. The pros and cons of face masks. And we'll hear some words of wisdom from the grannies of Wuhan. Spain has marked another grim milestone in its battle against the coronavirus. 950 people have died in the past 24 hours, taking the total number of fatalities to over 10,000. Guy Hedgeco is our correspondent in Madrid. The latest figure in particular comes as a bit of a shock. The health minister, Salvador Illa, has been speaking in Congress today and he said, you know, obviously when you're talking about deaths, you know, there's no such thing as good news. You know, any deaths are bad news and we've had 950 of them over the last 24 hours. People continue to debate the pros and cons of face masks. Early on in the outbreak, people weren't, on the whole, being advised to wear them unless they were medical or healthcare workers. But that's now changing. As more countries demand that their citizens wear them, the World Health Organization says it's considering whether to change its guidance. David Heyman is an expert on infectious diseases and special advisor to the WHO. It might be that wearing a mask is equally as effective or more effective than distancing, provided that mask is worn properly and provided that people don't infect themselves when they're taking the mask off and touch an outer surface which may be contaminated. Across the world, football has come to a halt. Most of the world's iconic stadiums are silent, the top leagues frozen in time. Here in Britain, the former England striker Gary Lineker has criticised four Premier League clubs, Tottenham, Newcastle, Bournemouth and Norwich, who want to use the British government's emergency job retention scheme to pay non-playing staff while continuing to pay their star players in full. It's very disappointing that they're not supporting their staff when obviously football is awash with money generally, but it, this will affect football massively economically as well. Nigel Adderley reports on football's response to the crisis. Lineker's comments highlight the differing attitude in the English Premier League compared to other nations around the world. Lionel Messi and his Barcelona teammates have taken a 70% pay cut, while in Germany... Bayern Munich and Dortmund are among a number to decide on cuts, which will also help out smaller clubs. There have been instances of individual players in the Premier League helping local communities, but until there's a collective decision on when or if wages will be cut, this sort of criticism is likely to continue. In India, environmental groups say the health of the River Ganges has improved significantly as a result of a nationwide lockdown to slow the spread of coronavirus because less industrial waste is being dumped into it. There was already a worldwide shortage of around 6 million nurses before the COVID-19 pandemic started. Now the International Council of Nurses, which represents 20 million nurses around the world, says its members are facing facing unprecedented physical and psychological challenges. Howard Catton is the council's chief executive. Nurses are stepping up, they're saving lives, but they're sacrificing themselves ahead of other people. And if we don't properly look after our health workforce, after our nurses, if we exhaust them, my fear is that this will make the virus worse. When the Chinese city of Wuhan went into lockdown, Yuli Yang began a campaign to send messages of support to friends and relatives back home. Now, as restrictions are lifted across China, she's sending messages of encouragement the other way, from the people of Wuhan to a fearful world. Many are from old people. 
the reason why I try to find more grannies to talk to us, to share their messages to us, is everyone right now is most worried for their elderly family members and friends. You know, people are wanting to make sure that Queen Elizabeth stays safe and healthy. And for that same reason, we want to share these tips from elderly people in Wuhan to hopefully bring hope and strength. In recent days, we've had to announce the death of several accomplished musicians who've succumbed to coronavirus. The 85-year-old American jazz pianist Ellis Marsalis is the latest. His career spanned several decades. He also spawned a dynasty of famous jazz musicians, including the trumpeter Winton. Let's play out this edition with Ellis playing with another son, Branford. This is the Coronavirus Global Update. This is a conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Time now for your backyard quiz. Today for your backyard quiz, we look at one of Lahaina's most recognizable landmarks. The Pioneer Inn on Wharf Street was built by Canadian immigrant George Friedland in 1901. Not only is it the oldest hotel on Maui, it is the oldest continuously running hotel in the state. The green building has a wide red roof and a white trim second floor lanai enveloping the entire building. The architecture, interiors, and nautical memorabilia evokes the days of uh, of when Lahaina uh, was a whaling port. Today, it's a Best Western hotel and includes a waterfront bar and grill. These days, the 34-room hotel includes modern amenities like Wi-Fi and flat-screen TVs. It is also a member of the Historic Hotels of America, one of only six said to be in the state. Throughout its long history, it set the scene for a 1960 film, what uh, what Spencer Tracy and Frank Sinatra film featured the Pioneer Saloon? Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. And then I go and it all by saying something stupid like I love Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Locations, whose Realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii's people and places. Updated property listings with photos and select virtual tours at locationshawaii.com. Even when your days shift and change, some things don't, like HPR keeping you informed with news you can trust and providing an oasis of music when you need it. So stick with your routine and stay connected at home. Listen to HPR on air, online, or on your smart speaker. Whether you're working in your street clothes or in your pajamas, HPR is here for you. Just ask your smart speaker to play Hawaii Public Radio. As we continue to keep our distance from each other, millions of essential workers continue to operate in the face of this worsening global health crisis. crisis. This includes first responders and emergency personnel whose job has become even more complicated with the looming threat of COVID-19 infection and spread in the communities that they serve. Hawaii anticipates an expected spike in coronavirus cases. 
uh, Honolulu's uh, emergency services personnel are vital. Uh, James Howe is the department's director. He spoke with the Conversations Harrison Patino about precautionary measures its staff is taking during this pandemic. We are using full PPE precautions on every call we respond to with our EMS service. And that is now the CDC standard. So that that is what precautions we're taking every call. To clarify, not just the calls where people are calling about symptoms that may indicate positive coronavirus, but any call whatsoever. That's correct, yes. And going forward, do you think there's going to be an adequate supply of personal protection equipment? I mean, obviously, we're going to see this spike in cases. Do we have a good stockpile? So at this point, we are, you know, struggling like others, but we are not in imminent threat of not having PPEs. We are monitoring that situation extremely closely, and we are also exploring a number of options in where we can get additional support for PPEs and other ways where we can conserve use. So this is one of the the major points that we want to make from the EMS perspective is that because we're using PPEs and we have to on every single call, the calls that we go on that are not truly emergency calls are not only taking up our time and the availability of our ambulance units for true emergencies, but we're also burning through the PPE stock that we have available to protect our first responders out there. Going forward in a time of crisis like this, what can you tell people to help them to free up services and not call during a non-essential situation? So there's a whole, a couple of things. We understand that folks are anxious and we understand that they're looking for where they can get good information and get help. So I'm gonna provide some sources for folks especially if they're not having what we would really call a life-threatening emergency. And maybe we should start with what are those life-threatening emergencies? Those would be strokes, heart trouble, and difficulty breathing. Things of that nature are the kinds of true medical emergencies that we would ask and expect for folks to call us. The other areas that people can call, especially if they're concerned about, you know, fever, chills, coughing, what we would call lower acuity type of cases, there is a city hotline for information. That's 768-CITY. Queens Medical Center has set up a 24-7 hotline, which has medical professionals that will answer your questions. That number is 691 2619. We also have available 211 service. Aloha United Way is providing that. It's from 7 in the morning until 10 at night. And then we've also noticed that there's a number of drive through clinics. I believe um, yesterday I heard that number is slightly in excess of 40 that are now available statewide. And of course, you can contact your personal physician. I spoke to several physicians today and calling them before you go into the office so that you can get some guidance in terms of whether you need to come in or not. Those are all options for the community, including, of course, 911 for those true emergency situations. And we will be there during those calls. In terms of even contacting emergency services, because we've seen such a high rate of people working from home, a lot of data service providers have been completely overwhelmed, connectivity has been bad, people haven't been able to get through to certain lines. Do you anticipate that that's going to be an issue with emergency services? No, we do not. Our 911 service is extremely robust. We can become overwhelmed. We saw that during the nuclear false alarm we had. But in this case right now, the call volumes are steady. They did spike up last week. We saw at least the medical call volume coming in through our EMS dispatch spiked up about 25% last week. And it has dropped down a little bit to more normal levels right now. And so we want to really thank the public for using these other resources. But right now, it seems like we're in a good position to be able to manage the call volume that we're seeing. Now, if and when Hawaii sees a surge in cases, do you anticipate that most people are are going to be self-admitting to hospitals, or do you anticipate a rise in calls for extreme coronavirus-related symptoms that have either gone neglected or have gotten to the point where people need the service of an ambulance? You know, that's very, very difficult to predict. I think we're going to see folks arriving or, or needing advanced medical care if that does actually happen from a variety of sources. Of course, 911 is one source. We may have others that come through via their physicians. We may see folks actually walking in or coming with loved ones, driving them to facilities. I think it will, you know, if we really get to that point, we will be there with the 911 service, but I think we'll see folks coming in from other, you know, other ways 
to get the care that, that's available and needed. Now, just anecdotally, we've heard some stories on the mainland about emergency service providers, ambulance drivers, having their equipment stolen from their car, masks stolen as a part of this pandemonium to get supplies that they need. I'm hoping that sort of thing isn't happening here. We have not seen that. We are aware that is a possible action that could happen. You know, Hawaii's not the mainland, and I think folks here understand that the ambulance units are out there to help everybody. You know, we just ask everybody to please understand that these folks, these paramedics, um, they're like field corpsmen during a battle. Um, they're the ones that you call as the last resort. Uh, you know, we've got to protect them. You know, out in the battlefield, they have big red cross on them, and even the bad guys shooting at you know not to shoot at the, the medical helpers. Please don't do that. That just hurts everybody's chances in a situation like this. Now, wrapping up here, what would you say some of the critical takeaways are from your perspective of how emergency services is changing and adapting to address this crisis and the kind of care that people are going to need? Well, we've made very significant and very rapid changes to address the situation over the last 10 days. I go really to what guidance we were given when we moved to an actual incident command structure system, and Mr. Hara was put in charge, the incident commander. We completely change our mode of operation as first responder agencies when we go to this incident command system. What we were directed or you know, said, we need to take quick, bold action to get ahead of this. And that's exactly what we've done, both at EMS and Ocean Safety. I know our firefighters and our police officers are doing the same. You know, we're the team there to protect everybody in the community, and we will be making whatever adjustments as we go forward to make sure that we're able to carry out that mission to the absolute best of our ability. Now, when we talk about response to a crisis, we think of earthquakes, tsunamis. How is responding to something like this What are some of the key differences between responding to a health pandemic like this and your typical natural disaster? So I, I, you know, as a surfer my whole life, um, and of course, coming from an ocean background, I, I, in my mind, the way I see this is it's a very slow moving tsunami that's covering the entire world. It has that same impact because it affects everybody. And it's not fast moving. That's the difficult challenge that's upon us is that this is likely to last for some time. We know that with tsunamis, they come and, you know, they come and they hit us and, and they either really mess us up or they don't, and then they're gone. This one, it's not going to go away. So that's how I've kind of consciously come to this. I did hear something else quite interesting coming out of Washington, D.C., talking about this is the same impact of a hurricane hitting every part of America simultaneously. And that leads to challenges in things like supply chains, um, the availability of PPEs, even medical supplies. Because it's impacting the entire nation, we all have the same needs across the entire country. So here in Hawaii, you know, we are pretty isolated. We are far away on terms of supply chains, but we have each other. And sharing what we have is going to get us through this. I, I firmly believe that on um, the hoarding that we saw or some of the, you know, the heavy buying, you know, maybe we need to hunker down and if your neighbor needs something, please share it with them. That is really where our strength's going to lay. I don't believe our strength is going to be relying on um, somebody over the horizon coming in and suddenly, you know, making everything right for us. Good to leave it there. Jim Howe, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you. That was Honolulu's Emergency Services Director James Howe talking with the Conversations Harrison Patino about how his department is dealing with this growing health crisis. The debate over whether or not to wear masks or other protective facial gear is ratcheting across the nation. Our reality check today is about a shipment of masks from China that is becoming available for certain workers. Civil Beat reporter Stuart Yurton joins us today. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. So, yeah, tell us about this company that has gotten this shipment in. Yes. Well, I'm not sure the shipment's in yet, but they can get a shipment, they say. Um, and they have put in an order for at least one company. So it's a, it's a company that does uh, specialty printing. They do, you know, signs and, and banners and other types of uh, products uh, that you see printed. And they also do the 
promotional gear like, you know, pens and, and mugs and things that you see with logos on them for companies. So they have a really good connection with China. Uh, the company is called JPG Hawaii, and they have a good connection with China. And they've been uh, promoting uh, the availability of these um, respirator, respirators is te- the technical word, but they're really the masks that they see and that we always see. And they're the really good ones. They're the ones that you would use in the hospital to uh, protect doctors and nurses that are really um, in the thick of things. So they claim to have a, a bunch of them, up to $2 million that you could order uh, from the company. Right, and and those uh, other masks, the, the N95 that we hear about, that they, they want those to be reserved for the healthcare workers, for those uh, first, you know, those first responders out in the field. Uh, or uh, now, these are how different from those? Okay, that's a great question. Um, technically, from what we've read, they're not any different, except they're made in China. So these are called KN95. Um, it means they're made in China, and again, they're supposedly identical. So identical, in fact, that the CDC says if you're a healthcare worker and you can't get an N95, you could use one of these uh, KN95. Um, again, the, I think the, the challenge for the hospitals and everybody is that um, they need to vet these things really carefully and make sure the supply chain is is all good and that they're actually legit and so um yeah that's one of the reasons i think that you you wouldn't necessarily see a hospital buying a big order from these guys right because you want to make sure they're uh you know they meet a certain standard right exactly but so the company has said look the hospitals have their own supply chains. They're going through that process. You have the Healthcare Association of Hawaii doing their thing. They're working with the hospitals. We're already getting, according to Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, who's on the COVID response team, he said they're getting orders in already. A lot of stuff's coming in. So this company's saying, look, respirators are used by, these masks, respirators are used by construction workers and others who who. Um, are out there performing essential services, so we're going to focus on that market. So that's what they're doing. Gotcha. So they're like kind of like those dust masks that you could buy at the hardware store, kind yes, of like that. Yes, exactly. They're, they could be used for dust. They could be used for you know, doctors. This is, the, this is the mask. So are they cheap, or are the prices uh, going through the roof because the demand is high? Yeah, the price that they have quoted on their site – Starts around, you know, three dollars, a little bit more, three dollars and something cents per mask. I mean, the problem is, you need to order ten thousand of them, or five, at least five thousand to ten thousand. So they're putting together hooies, maybe, and consolidating, saying, okay, if we get a bunch of orders and can get up to ten thousand, then we can put in an order with these guys. Otherwise, it has to be a really big entity that could order five or ten thousand. Oh, interesting so uh <laughs> were you able to reach out to anybody in the construction industry yet to see you know if they might go for this well you know i talked to one and the thought was the initial question and what got us on the story was they said well why aren't they selling these to the hospitals um so that was the that was that was what got us started but According to the, I have not reached out to the construction companies. According to to the supplier, they do have one that's made an order. Okay, be really interesting to see how the, how this all uh, plays out. But thanks so much, Stuart. Thank you, Catherine. That was business reporter Stuart Yurton with today's reality check. To read his full story, visit civilbeat.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, now offering distance EMBA in travel industry management starting this fall. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. You know, we have uh, received lots of calls from listeners related to the COVID-19 coronavirus. Uh, Jeffrey Rumsey, a school bus driver from Maui, used the opportunity to vent. Right now I'm in Lahaina trying to uh, live my life, but I tell you the biggest frustration is finding Wi-Fi 
Starbucks is the only place that has Wi-Fi, and that is extremely slow. I can understand the reason why in that. But number two is we have elected officials here, and they don't seem to be doing much assisting us getting our money from our unemployment claims. Cannot even get into the website. There's a lot of people that are filing claims, and I cannot even file the, the weekly claim. I filed it for one week, but I can't get in for last week. Now, you know, we have Ross Baker, we have all these representatives. I think they should hunker down and go to the unemployment office and start doing some paperwork, get paid for their services. You know, there's no reason why the government is collapsing because they don't have enough people. There's enough legislators that could type, type keys, you know, or learn how to process unemployment claims. Let's get them back to work or get them to work. They can do it from home. But, yeah, I'm frustrated. Thank you. And Peter, also from Maui, had concerns about public restrooms. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the bathroom in the parks, especially uh, easily accessible from the street, like a lot of actually people who live in the vans and cars using them. So now they ping and doing number two all over the place because, because like, uh, do you really think on this island, how about the homeless or people they need to go because they just need to go? You know, it's a nature. Okay. Nature call is nature call. Bye. And caller Michelle Yamaguchi wanted to pass on a suggestion to everyone out there. I just wanted to see if you could ask people to please, please clean and sanitize their phones. I'm constantly going in the bathroom and people are talking on their phones while using the bathroom. And uh, I think this is something people are not thinking about. Thank you. And an Oahu caller had this to say. What's been running through my head constantly is why are we not seeing more PSAs on the radio, the TV, places other than the Internet where a lot of people don't, what a lot of people don't have. Um, it's just mind-boggling. <clears throat> not only why, not only that we need to stay home, but why we need to stay home and how deadly this virus is. And if it spreads, how easily it spreads, it's just, keeping me up at night. Thank you. And finally, uh, Jackie Malley from Kaneohe wanted to share something that she thought was a good idea. I just want to make a comment about something I saw the other day uh, when I was in a grocery store. Uh, one of the stores uh, near me has uh, put up uh, sneeze barriers, uh, big sheets of uh, plexiglass between uh, the customers and the uh, the checkout people, and basically uh, that's a real good thing because it protects them from me and me from them, and somehow I wish the word would get out that this is a really great idea and that other grocery stores would begin to uh, adopt this and basically uh, that the, our government does some, our Hawaii government does something about subsidizing or getting this done as quickly as possible. It just seems a really, really good virus barrier. Thank you very much. Aloha. And thank you for the feedback. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Reach out, via, reach out via social media on Facebook or Twitter or call our talkback line at 792-8217. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, with a mission to create transformative experiences through art and committed to standing with the community during this time. Updates on reopening at honolulumuseum.org. This is Jose Fajardo, President and General Manager of Hawaii Public Radio. Our spring fun drive that was scheduled to start yesterday has been postponed. We made this decision because right now, what matters the most is keeping you up to date and informed. Your continued support sustains and strengthens HPR and benefits the entire community. If you can, give online at hawaiipublicradio.org and thanks. 
You know, in today's Backyard Quiz, we were looking at a modest century-old hotel on Maui. The Pioneer Inn was built in 1901 with artifacts and memorabilia from the heyday of the area's whaling days. At the time, there were no hotels at all. In fact, it was only a West Maui hotel until Ka'anapali was developed in the 1960s. Uh, there have been a wild tales like the one about a horse being kicked out of the saloon for misbehavior. Now, outside, you'll find a sculpture of a big-nosed sea captain by Maui artist Reems Mitchell. In the 1960s, the Pioneer Inn expanded by removing its Plantation-era theater behind the hotel and adding a whole new wing of rooms on the Front Street side. The old section on the waterfront still contains the original planks with square nails in place. It was declared a National Historic Landmark in 1962. It's also been used as a film location. In 1960, the film The Devil at 4 o'clock, starring Spencer Tracy and Frank Sinatra, was shot on location at the inn. The plot involves a priest and three convicts trying to rescue children at a hospital from an erupting volcano. The film was screened at the hotel during its centennial, and I believe we didn't have any winners. But that's today's quiz. If you have an idea, you can send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You know, if you're catching up on TV shows and movies while on government orders to stay at home to help slow down the spread of the coronavirus, it's thanks to the thousands working in the entertainment industry, many of whom are now out of work. I'll couple that with Hawaii Five O's series finale tomorrow night at the end of a 10-year run, and things appear to be dire for our local entertainment industry. The Conversations' Russell Subiono spoke about the impacts with Irish Barber. She's the business manager for Local 665, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE. Uh, it's the union representing production crews in the state. It has completely devastated our entire industry globally. And our, uh, the IATSC is an international alliance. We have um, chapters all over the United States, primarily in Canada. And we're all at home, shut down, locked down. All of the live events, because of the audiences and the uh, public um, performances, those are all gone. The trade show conventions, all of them were canceled. That's why Las Vegas is a ghost town right now. So it's absolutely brought it to a global halt. Do they have some recourse? Is the union able to say, we'll keep you guys on payroll? Or is it a thing where no work, which means no ability to pay wages? There are some employers, TV shows that were in work in production mm -hmm. and those employers have most of them have opted to pay their crew during this break some only for two weeks and then many of our members are on unemployment right now but our timing it just so happened that of course hawaii 50 was canceled and they were wrapping up the show their 10th season and magnum went on hiatus right when we went into the lockdown mode. So we were on break primarily already, but our live events were canceled. The Merry Monarch, the Kamehameha Song Contest, all of our symphony events at the Blaisdell, all of those workers are also on unemployment. There has been some relief through the Actors Fund, which, although it says Actors Fund, it helps everyone in the industry, union and non-union. There's been other emergency relief assistance that we've been able to find our members, but all of them are now, unless they're being paid by their employers who are hoping to ride this out, they're all on unemployment right now. I also read in Deadline that the new Jurassic World movie that's been filming here since February has also been postponed. Right. Are, are there any other productions that had plans to film here that have been delayed or canceled? There was a production that has been trying to get here, um, and they kept pushing since last year, and were set to start in April and film in June. They were set to open offices in April and, and start filming in June, and now they're on hold indefinitely. Do the skills that your members have, do they translate to other industries? Are there other opportunities that they could pursue in the meantime? We have uh, medics who are active firefighters, paramedics, nurses, lifeguards, first responders that act as medics when they when we have productions going on. Obviously, they're working their real full-time job. 
many of our trades and skills, uh, all of everything we do is with our hands, whether it's building, wrenching, drilling, creating, typing, digital effects, everything we do is with our hands. So some of us that are the high-tech technicians we have have been very able to work from home. They're very savvy on computers. But building the actual items like houses and sets and that sort of, we have carpenters, electricians. We have a, we're a mixed local, so we have all kinds of skill sets. And one thing that we're doing are seamstresses and tailors because the nurses at Queens and, and the other hospitals are running out of masks, we were able to obtain uh, templates for small, medium, large face masks. And we're now collecting fabric, and all of our seamstresses are going to be sewing them from home. Um, we had Hawaii Five-O donated 25 boxes of hazmat suits and face masks to Queens the other day. And our props department found some face masks that they're donating. As far as transferable skills, the question is, who's hiring? And so what we did find is some of the food grocery stores are hiring, and the only department that we have that handles food, besides caterers, are craft service, which does our snacks. So for the most part, most of our skill sets are very specialized for the movie industry, for stage, theater is what the stagehands do. So it's usually a very specialized skill set. Well, Local 665 says it's doing everything it can for its members. Uh, the state agency that oversees productions in the state, the Hawaii Creative Industries Division of the Department of Business, Economic Development, and Tourism is dealing with the effects of the economic slowdown to our local entertainment industry as a whole. That's an industry that in just uh, the last three years alone injected $400 million into the state's economy. Russell Subiona also spoke with Georgia Skinner, the chief officer of the division, who paints a hopeful picture in the midst of the current crisis. Uh, we're very hopeful that Magnum PI will be coming back. With the COVID-19, there is uh, a new normal on the horizon, and, and all of us, I think, are grappling with what does that look like. We're looking at amping up, of course, and, and have been for some years now, on empowering our local creatives to be able to do uh, what they need to do, and hopefully successfully in the future we'll have a you know, series that's on either one of the over-the-top television networks or one of the um, streaming services that... Uh, even Quibi and the new platform, uh, that are original content developed by us, um, and everyone hired is a person that lives and works here. As I was watching some of the, the Hawaii Five-O reruns, and uh, as, as great as, as it is at, in showcasing our islands and, and some of our local talent, it occurred to me like this, the next level or the next step that we should be looking to take is something that is either produced or created by someone local mm-hmm. or stars and is, you know, led by someone local. Is that is that something that might be in the pipeline down the road? It, it, it is very much in the pipeline now. I think okay. that when you're looking for uh, examples of the original content being exported for uh, multiple audiences to view and because of COVID-19 uh, ramping up in that area is something that we're focused on. Um, I will say that people like... Um, Jeff Orig with Orig Entertainment, who's developed the Waikiki PD uh, comedy series online, has won a lot of awards for that and continues to do great work. Um, I encourage listeners to tune into Kimmy Balmiero's uh, Tiny Stage. Uh, she has created a wonderful online uh, show uh, that is fantastic, and I can see that that kind of work from here, as well as uh, television series or a limited run series that you can do on the web or on the new platform Quibi. All of those things are important to us, and we have had calls from Quibi and uh, other major uh, entertainment companies saying, can you source some local writers for us? So it is happening, and what we're doing with Creative Lab uh, media uh, programs this year, which are screenwriting, producing, and uh, a lot of other areas that are important to um, direct web production, uh, we're going to be doing that virtually. So we're going to shift the program a little bit, and it'll be available come uh, summer and possibly before then. So just look for um, the information on that on our website, creativelab.hawaii.gov. Oh, that's that's great to hear. It definitely gives the the creatives here something to look forward to and aspire to, and and especially after 
the uh, the current crisis has kind of settled or subsided. And I think we're in for a long haul in the yeah. current crisis. So one of the things that Creative Industries and DBED is looking at is, in addition to being a support uh, network for all of the creatives that may be out of work, and again, the total number for the state is 54,000. It's quite a few. Uh, we want to be sure that we're exploring ways to reinvent this entire cluster for the crisis. How can we be of service? And you're seeing that now with um, some of our labor guilds. The IATSE is working with Queens on sewing masks and um, making that happen. They've been doing food drives. Um, I know that there's a lot happening on the SAG-AFTRA. And so if any listeners are in these wonderful areas, whether they are musicians from our symphonies or uh, uh, you know, chamber um, groups on all islands, you know, we are here to serve you, and what we've done on our website is uh, set up all kinds of links for the specific industry cluster that we represent. And there are many, many opportunities out there. And the hope for a brighter future isn't limited to those in the spotlight. Those who work behind the scenes are also full of resolve. Here's local 665's Irish Barber again on what's ahead for the members. The beautiful part of our industry is our flexibility and adaptability to any kind of emergency or situation. It's very rare that when we come up against an obstacle that we just shrug our shoulders and walk away, oh, well, I guess that's it. We always find a way around something to get it done. And I know for a fact that we're going to all be able to join together and get past this emergency crisis. That's just the nature of our personality of our workers. So we are going to get past this. We're, gonna, we're right now coming together as a union, trying to help the community. We did a, a, a Zoom meeting for the first time. We held our membership meeting on Zoom, which was very successful and allowed the leadership of our local to put our members at ease. So I know that we're going to get past this. We're going to rise above it. Do believe that once we get this virus thing under control and know more about it, work will return. So that's what my hope is, and I, I've seen this industry go through many, many setbacks, and we've always come through it. That was the conversations Russell Subiano checking in with Irish Barber of IATSE Local 665 and Hawaii Creative, Creative Industries Division Chief Georgia Skinner on the state of the local film industry. And hey, you know, I stand corrected. We did have a winner for the Backyard Quiz, Solomon Randy on Maui. You got it right. That's it for today. Tomorrow, Kathy, uh, Dr. Kathy Kozak of The Body Show and I will team up to take your calls about COVID-19. Confused about something? Give us some feedback. Got questions about the use of masks? How do you feel about the release of certain prisoners because of the COVID threat? Call our Talkback line. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.